Good evening, friends. I'm Tim Galley. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and I wanted to um, begin tonight by sharing a, a bit of great personal news, if you haven't already heard. Uh, about a week and a half ago, uh, we welcomed our latest child, the latest addition to our family, uh, little Brianna Joy Galley. Uh, she was born December 5th. Thank you. I have a picture of her here. Um, she was born December, uh, November 5th, uh, uh, seven pounds, five, uh, seven and a half pounds, 20 and a half inches. Um, my wife Susan uh, is recovering well. Um, we have in-laws helping and all sorts of things. Um, and everything is as it should be uh, with a full house of four children um, and in-laws and all sorts of people coming over. So we're, we really are grateful. Uh, I'm sort of on a high on you know, riding this infancy thing. Um, you know, it is actually a lot of fun having, uh, having a, or at least being the father, welcoming a child into the, into the world. Um, and our kids kind of sleep for the first, you know, two weeks of life. Um, so it's kind of easy those first two weeks. Uh, and then after that, um, I know many of you have had similar experiences. Uh, who, who knows? Who knows? But I was up for, uh, I was on the schedule to preach tonight. And I really do enjoy uh, the opportunity to speak into this community uh, and I'm grateful that our leadership entrusts uh, me with this, and I'm grateful for you uh, and being part of this. So I just could not pass up tonight. Um, so here we are. Uh, we are nearing the end of our Come Together series. And this is an entire year dedicated to strengthening our community. And I, I believe uh, that we are going to receive uh, an enrichment, and we're going to be able to see this enrichment um, later on uh, more and more throughout this year. Um, but I have a few questions uh, that are on my mind tonight. And, and one of them is, you know, do, do you ever have that moment where you are the only person that really cares about these essential matters of life? Like, do you ever feel that you're the only one who really cares about community? You're the only one who really cares about justice or forgiveness or redemption or deliverance? On Tuesday... Uh, I was working out of Starbucks, and I felt the gaze of the person sitting next to me on the right. And I was in the, at, that, at the Burlington Starbucks where you kind of have like this shared bench, and the tables are kind of really close together, right? And so like you're, you're close enough where you can almost like, you know, if you angle it right, you could probably look at the person's screen and like, you know, be nosy if you wanted to. And I felt this person kind of like looking at me. Um, and, and like I have a very boring screen. My screen is filled with like Philippians. Okay, and, 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 you know, other matters like this. Uh, but, you know, he was, he was kind of just like right here, and, you know, I, I took my coffee, and, I, you know, I took a sip, and I kind of just turned my head and, um, and saw him. He, you know, looked right really quick, fast at me, and he's like, hey, <laughs> you know, I was like, hey. And I'm an extrovert. I like talking to people, uh, but I wasn't too sure about this guy. Uh, and and I'm, I'm like, so, we're, you know, we, we started talking a little bit, and um, the conversation starts moving, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, there's something a little off about this guy. I bet he's a Christian, just like me. And he's going to evangelize me. Oh, this is going to be awkward. And I, could, and I didn't have my headphones handy enough. You know, like, so I'm like, oh, man, like, oh, this is, it's going to go down like this. So as we're, as we're you know, talking about, like, you know, trivial matters, um, he says, um, ha have, have you seen this? And he was just like this new, you know, cult, you know, pop trivia or pop cultural, um, you know, passing moment of the day, um, the, the, the moment that broke the internet this week type of a thing. 
And I was like, oh, you know, I, I, I didn't really, I don't really care. I didn't really, I don't know. No, no. Where are my headphones? No. And, and because he's an evangelist, um, you know, he, he turned his computer towards me to show me what, what, what he was talking about. And I looked at it and I said, and it was one of those moments where like, what, what I liked actually what I said. And so I said, well, you know what, I'm going to tell you later. I know, I know. I, you know, last month I preached and all these people kept leaving the room. And I'm like, you know, I, I need to give people like a reason to stay a little bit longer. So, you know, I'm just going to like, you know, just keep you on the hook a little bit. But I think it'll actually make, make a little bit more sense if, if I tell you what I said a little bit later. We're talking about community. We're talking about things that really matter. We're not talking about trivial things. We're not talking about things that are passing by. We're not talking about things that don't really matter in a week. We're talking about here, like what, what Paul's talking about in, in the book of Philippians, about things that if we don't get right, it will probably hinder us later. And so we get to pick it up from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12, and this is a pretty familiar passage for many of us. And he writes, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act accord in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the, on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. I mentioned that I like this passage a lot, but it's also a bit of a tricky passage. And it sounds a bit churchy. I mean, working out your salvation with fear and trembling and shining like stars and, and, not, ru- and, and not running in vain and, and all these things. And, and again, like, you know, Paul mixes his metaphors. Are we supposed to be trembling or shining, right? Trembling and shining? Like, I'm not sure I can actually multitask like that. Um, so there's a, there's a lot going on in this passage, and I think it would be helpful for us to break it down verse by verse. He says in in verse 12, Therefore, my friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's really important that we pay attention to the first part of this verse, uh, because it's taking place in the context of obedience. And the 11 verses before, which um, I actually got to teach out of last month, because we've been uh, playing with the order of of the chapters, uh, is talking about the humility of Jesus and how we are to imitate Jesus' humility, and we are to, to obey the Father as Jesus obeyed the Father. And, we are, and, and so this is the context of obedience that Paul is calling us to. Therefore, as you have always obeyed. Now, Paul is not talking about living these lives of complete perfection. He's, he's talking about an obedient posture, a life that is authentically trying to follow Jesus. Now, this leads us to the fear and trembling part. Continue to work out your salvation out of fear and trembling. What does that mean? 
the cynical voice in me might, might say something like, you know, this is what religion is always about. It's another way to control you again. Don't question anything. Be afraid of it. Obey it. Or they may take it from you. Don't upset God. Just try to work this thing out with fear and trembling. That's not what Paul is saying. And I really, really want to stress that tonight. God does not want us to be afraid of him. God loves us. God loves us. God loves us. And he wants, and what he desires from us is for us to love him back. And we will not be able to love him in the way that is truly loving if we are actually afraid of him. So if I can just, you don't, have, you don't have to agree with everything I say, but if I can convince you into that, that God loves us, oh, that would be a big win. Salvation cannot be taken from us, nor can we earn salvation either. And so this is one of Paul's most consistent things and other New Testament writers that, he, that, that is echoed throughout the New Testament. We cannot earn our salvation. It, it, we can't even cooperate with God's grace to, to yield a right standing with God. This is just given to us. God, in his love and in his grace, gives us salvation without our merit. However, part of our response to God is what we do with this salvation. Now, we have this glitch whenever we see the word works, especially as Protestants, you know, on this side of the Reformation, right? Continue to work out your salvation, and so we see the word work, and we're like, oh, no, we, like, is, is that, is, is, that's, that's a bit of a tricky word for us. With the word, the idea of working out is, um, is very similar to this idea of getting, my, getting silver out of a mine. And um, I'm, I'm borrowing a page out of Brian's uh, message this morning. It was, it was, it was, this is the best part of it, so you don't even, you're, you're lucky, like, you know, I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, but this, uh, what he was saying was, um, in, in, the, in the time of the, the, the Philippians, there was like these silver mines around, around the city. And one of the, the, one, of the, uh, one of the metaphors that the original audience would have understood was this idea of working out the silver out of the mines. Now, as a miner, you would know that you didn't invent or create the silver. You just had to get the silver out of the mine. And this was a metaphor that would have made sense to the, to the original audience. And so here we are. We have this this silver, this salvation that we are to get out, that we are to work out. You with me so far? We're miners, okay? I, I, know, I don't know if you ever wanted to be one, but here, here we are. We're working out our salvation. Now, this is coming again out of the heels of this idea of humility that Jesus has in, in the first part of this chapter. And, and we are to, to do this with fear and trembling, again, not because we're afraid of God, but because we are in awe of Him. So that was part of the, that was the technical part, right? That was like the linguistic part. One of the things that has helped me to, under, to get better clarity into this passage is to figure out what actually causes me to fear and tremble. Let me ask you that tonight. What causes you to fear and tremble? disease, terrorist attack, the pain that others encounter. Right now, it would be understandable to tremble about what might happen in Ferguson. Right now, it would be understandable to tremble over the kids in our schools who were attacked and bullied. 
Right now, it would be understandable to tremble about all the people in our world, women and children and men who are forced into trafficked and other forced labor situations. Right now, it would be understandable to tremble that we cannot do a lot about it. It's understandable to tremble about the things that we cannot control. But the good news, the good news is that we actually, because of God, do not have to live in fear and trembling about those things. Because there is a God who is, who is loving, there is a God who is out to, to redeem, and there is a God inviting us to join in this redemption of all things. And so a real key piece, a real key piece tonight is with great humility and reverence, we get to join God and his people in working out salvation and deliverance for others. This is very similar to the idea of the holy fear that is described in the book of James, in James 4, this idea of holy fear, that if we really knew how bad certain things were in the world, and if we really knew how even greater God is, we would be living in holy fear of how incredible, how loving, how merciful, how in awe we ought to be of God. It's in this context that the idea of fear and trembling works a little bit easier for me. Maybe for you too. And so Paul continues, he says, do, then do everything without grumbling or arguing in verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Man, that's hard. Because I'm really good at that some days. Some days it just comes out really naturally. Now Paul is pointing us back to the grumbling and arguing of the ancient, ancient Israelites as they came out of Egypt. Okay? And what he's saying is, Often, God does these amazing acts of deliverance in our lives. And after we get through the high of it, after we get through the deliverance of it, we take a few steps out of that into this, into this new uncharted territory, and we find ourselves living in faith again. We find ourselves feeling a bit more uncomfortable, and the high has kind of worn off, and we think to ourselves, oh, no, I'm not sure I, I really like this anymore. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. And we start finding, like, the things that, because we're uncomfortable, we start criticizing, we start complaining, we start arguing with those around us, we start grumbling. And this feels like a lot like what the New Testament church is going through. Yes, we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Yes, we uh, love the idea of being bonded together in this Christian community. But as the time goes on in this uncharted territory, grumbling and complaining and arguing starts taking root. And Paul's saying if, if, if we could continue to work out our salvation in fear and trembling, we, can't, we don't have time to grumble and argue with each other. That's not, there, there's no place for that. Another interesting thing about grumbling and complaining is that when we do that, we often lose sight of gratitude. Ah, gratitude. I know, it's November, it's Thanksgiving time. Quick, everybody, be thankful for something. You're going to be asked, so you, you, you got to find something to be thankful for, right? I mean, you ever get asked that, like, you know, like, just, just, like, almost out of nowhere, like, a guy sitting next to you at Starbucks is like, hey, what are you thankful for? Uh, <laughs> and the thing is, we can probably come up with lists of things to be thankful for. Oh, I'm thankful for my family, I'm thankful for my health, I'm thankful that, and, and, and like, we, we can make it sound pretty good. And, and often it's sincere. But I think the other question is, are we living lives with gratitude? 
What are you thankful for, and are you living your life with a sense of gratitude? That's a different, that's a different question. It's a much harder question. And it's really difficult to live your life with a sense of gratitude when you find yourself grumbling and complaining too regularly. Well, let's continue. In verse 15, it says, And do this so that you may become blameless and pure. More pressure. Now I, got, I can't grumble, I can't complain, and I have to live a life that is blameless and pure. Paul, come on now. And what Paul's probably pointing at is, again, he's echoing the, the, the journey of the ancient Israelites, where they are stuck in this depraved um, and, and uh, crooked generation full of people around them. And Israel, and, and, and now the church, is supposed to be this blameless and pure community of God. And he's saying, friends, stand in, 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 in continuity with your ancient and spiritual predecessors. Don't make the same mistakes they made. Don't fall into the same traps that, that they fell into in, in light of their society. Don't let them corrupt you. Instead, hold fast. Hold this torch up high, this way of Jesus, so that you may shine like stars in the universe. Paul is calling the church to take God up on his word and submit to his power and to live these incredible, radically changed lives through his power so that we may be a testimony, a witness, a light unto others in this really dark, lonely, midnight sky. I start, I start liking that. Stars in the midnight sky. I mean, we all have this moment where we, where we walk out into, like, you know, some summer night, and everything is dark around us, but we look up. Somebody almost always says, oh, my goodness, look up. And you look up, and you see, like, all these beautiful lights. And, 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 and you're, you're, you're awestruck by that. It never gets old. And you think to yourself, like, that, that actually is incredible. I don't get bored with that. Stars. What a beautiful metaphor, right? Stars, what, what makes them burn? Well, you, you, you might remember from, from ninth grade um, science class, um, and you can Google, the, Google this later, but um, it's, it's helium and hydrogen um, constantly, it's kind of like a nuclear reaction going off, and what we're seeing is the heat and the light that is constantly emitting. Uh, the, the, this is the evidence of it. Now, um, I went to this... Um, Pastor, pastors in science thing earlier this summer, and I got to learn a little bit more about stars, and it was, it was, it was pretty cool, actually. Uh, what, what I, what I, what, one of the things that I really was struck by was that some of the most amazing stars that, that exist today um, will never be seen by you or me. And I was kind of bummed about that. Um, some of the most incredible astronomical, uh, astronomical? Is that, is that a word? Um, yeah, that's right. Astronomical, friends. One of the, some of the most incredible astronomical things that are happening um, are, are, are only going to be seen by a handful of very privileged people who, have been, who are just at the right place at the right time who are allowed to use this particular technology to see these incredible stars. And I was, I was jealous, obviously, because I, I, I want to see. Um, and like, you know, they can put up pictures on Google for us, but like, there's just something about the act of, of being able to see these things happening, right? Now, 
what I think is interesting also is like these incredible stars that no one else is going to see, uh, or maybe, or very, very few people, let me say it that way. These incredible stars that very few people are going to see is, is actually kind of the way that we live our lives too. Like this metaphor really starts to work for me because like there's a lot of incredible lives that are happening. There's a lot of incredible people in this church, in this room, in, in your row. And there's a lot of stories that you are not going to hear. There's some incredible stories going on in your life that only a handful of people are going to hear. There's only, a, a, only so much, there's only so many stories that can possibly go around. And so to somebody, or to a group of people, or a select handful of exclusive people, you're probably going to be an amazing star of life, so to speak, that only a privileged few people are going to see. So it feels very important that we live faithfully to the calling that God has given us. That we let this incredible light within us burn. This idea of like this, this light and this heat in, uh, constantly coming from out of our core forces us to ask ourselves and maybe each other in an honest moment, what is going on in our core? What is going on in our core? I mean, there are some days, like, you don't want to answer that question, right? I mean, there are some days you're just like, yeah, um, my core, black. Black like the way I like my Starbucks coffee, right? And then there's some days, thank God, we, we let him in enough that we think to ourselves, you know, I would love for God to continue to change more and more and more of my heart more and more and more of my core, more and more and more of my life. This idea of stars emitting in, 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 in the lonely night sky, that starts to work for me after a while. And what really starts to work is as, as we join together in letting our light shine. And so this brings us to one of our central ideas tonight. We, the church, we are working out what God has done in our lives, and we can have a profound impact in our world. Working out what God has done in our lives can have a profound impact in our world. And so when we do this together, we start living out this calling that, that Jesus has called us to, to be a city on the hill, to be a, a, a light, to, to, uh, to, to be a lamp uh, um, unto others, right? Light driving out the darkness. And so this continues on in, in, at the back half of verse 16, where, where Paul says, And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Now Paul's not, like, the word boasting is a tricky word for us. because we, we attach that to conceit and to arrogance. But the word boasting in, 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 in Paul's mind is that we, I get to identify myself with this amazing community of people who are doing amazing things in the world. People who are serving sacrificially with one another. People who are living in forgiveness with one another. People who are sharing, not just out of their abundance, but also out of their, their poverty with one another. I get to identify myself with that. People who are proclaiming words of truth in a world that is, that is lying to them. I get to identify myself with that. And, and, and so then, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, on the, on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I rejoice about that. And this idea of, of a drink offering is like this symbolic ritual 
where, where the, the, the offering gets, gets discarded because it, it had a very limited meaning. And Paul would consider that a, a moment to be rejoicing. Even if he was to be discarded by this Roman Empire that wanted to punish him for holding on to the convictions that he has, he would say that my life is worthwhile if I got to be a light or a star for Jesus and be a part of this community with you. I like this passage. I mean, it, it, it takes a little bit to get through, but I, I, I like it. And then he invites us to rejoice with him for the same reasons. And I can rejoice with that. I can find joy in this because we, because we all want to find something worthwhile in life. We don't want to go from one trivial moment to another. We, we Remember that question I asked you in the beginning? Do you feel like you're the only one who cares about these incredible essential matters of life? Justice and community and forgiveness and redemption and salvation. Those things are worthwhile. And so I return to the guy who, 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 who asks me in Starbucks if I saw this trivial pop cultural moment and, and I had this look on my face when he turned his computer to me that said, oh, where are my headphones? But I also was quick enough to try to like, I don't want to be snobby, and I want to be faithful with the moments that God gives me, and here's somebody talking to me, and I want to be faithful with that. And so I said, um, yeah, so honestly, to me, this is, and I, I had this like forced smile on my face a little bit, to be completely honest with you. Honestly, to me, this is noise. Uh, there's better things for me to pay attention to. And then he said, as if I was crafting the moment myself, he says, like what? And I did not say Jesus. Instead, instead, I thought fast. I'm like, yeah, what, like, what, 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 am, I, yeah, yeah, what am I paying attention to? And in, in that split second, um, I, I just kind of looked down on my computer, and I had just, I had, I had watched this video the day before, um, and it was still on my, on my, on my safari, and I want to show you this video that, that I showed him in, in that moment. Jenkins, open it. No. Jim? Jim, don't, don't do it! 
Ist nicht bewaffnet. Nein, Otto. My name is Jim. My name is Otto. Pleased to meet you, Otto. Freut mich. Rose, she's called. Um, it's schön. Um, it's schön. Good stuff. So it's based on a true story in 1914. It's called the Christmas Truce, and, and, and you probably heard about it in history class. And you can again Google it later. Um, but you know, it's 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 it started off like like yeah, this is a good thing, right? Uh, and and of course, like it's actually a bit of an awkward moment in real life because like there's two guys at the Burlington Starbucks like watching the YouTube video, like sharing a computer here, um, and and you know it's, it, there's there's that going on too. But we, we, got, we got through it, and, and you know, we, we made a little bit of you know, small talk about it, and, and he said, well, what do you, what do you like about it? Like, we're, like, you know, like, we're just having conversation. And like, honestly, what I like about it, and what I, what I, I really did say pretty much of this, like, I, I think what I really like about it is that it, it's, it talks about humanity. Here you have this moment of like, why do we have to fight and kill each other? Why are we risking our lives on Christmas Day when we would rather be anywhere else but here? And we all know this. And then as they get out, and, and of course they, they, they sing, they, they sing um, Silent Night. Like, like that, that's a unifying moment on Christmas. And they get out of their trenches and they play soccer together and they share with each other. And like they realize that they have so much in common. And like what I like about it, and I said this part, what I like about it is that it is the vision of heaven in the reality of earth. And like that's what Christmas is about. Now, this isn't a, this isn't a Grace Chapel video. This is a video from a grocery store. And I'm just I'm shocked by that. 
but I really, really like it. It's a great story. We talked a little bit more, and it turns out he's actually not that strange of a guy. And it turns out that I'm glad that I didn't, I didn't have my headphones on. And it turns out I, I kind of wonder how many opportunities and conversations I pass up because um, I appreciate my, my sense of privacy and I'm trying to also get some work done too. Um, but like it, it was, it was, a, it, was, a, it, was a, it was a moment. It was a moment of, of, of some sense of community. What it also was, was that a moment of, of, of even this was like a, a YouTube video, it, it also had a, a, a lasting quality to, the mo- like to, to what we were watching, which is better than what most of what pop culture gives us. And like, there's like all these pop culture moments, and I'm not an enemy of pop culture, I, but I like pop culture. Uh, but like pop culture has its limits. So when we talk about like the big questions, when we talk about the things that we are that make us that threaten us to, to to fear and to tremble, we have to be able to say a little bit more than what pop culture offers us. So like what pop culture tells us is like you know to shake it off, right? Isn't isn't it like the, one of the more popular songs today by Taylor Swift, "Shake It Off"? And I like the song. It's a guilty pleasure, right? When when it comes on the radio, I you know I actually do know most of the words. Um, I'm not really, con- anyway. Um, but t- to the huge questions in life, I want to be able to tell myself more than shake it off. Shake it off is, 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 is escapism. Having a really bad day, you know, having these haters <laughs> out, out to get you, um, having the heartbreakers and the fakers and all these things, and I'm just going to go over here and escape from it and shake it off. That's only going to go so far. Shake it off gets me through the traffic, okay? Shake it off is not going to be a suitable maxim for life. And to Taylor Swift's defense, she's just trying to sell some music, right? She just wants to get us through the traffic. She, she's not trying to give us scripture. Our, our problem is if we forsake actual scripture for the messages that are coming through pop culture. Our problem is if we refuse to work it out, to work out our salvation, and if we refuse to shine like stars in a desperate, dark world, that would be our failure, not, not anyone else's. In closing, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm taken by these cautionary tales that, that I keep bumping up against. And I, I heard the story years ago, um, and for some reason, now, um, in, during this season of my life, like I just, I just, the story just, I, I just can't shake it. And it's a story about a seven-year-old boy who's playing in the snow, and he's saying to himself, "Oh man, it, it's great! We get the, it's finally snowing, and I'm playing, and I'm, I'm having a great time." But after a little while, his hands get cold, and and like he, and his, and his face gets cold, and his feet get cold, and he's like, "You know, I wish it was summertime." so I can enjoy the sun and like stay out here longer so I don't have to be stuck in my house where it's boring. And as summer came, it got too hot. And he's like, man, I can't wait till it's snowing again so I can be cold and cool and relaxed and not sweating and burning up. And then as summer came again, he said to himself, you know, I wish I was older, like a teenager, so I could like ride a bike or even drive and hang out with my friends and, and like not have my parents always over my shoulder. And when he became a teenager, he said, I wish I didn't have to live here anymore. I wish I was out of high school. I wish I was in college so I could like, just enjoy college life and finally be on my own and do the things that I want to do. 
And when he got through college, as he was nearing his end of college, he said to himself, oh man, I just wish that I could just be done with college and finally be done with studying and get a real job and like, you know, like do the stuff again that I want to do. And then when he, fin- when he was in his 20s, he was like, man, I, I hate this little small job that I have. I wish I was in my 30s where, you know, I could have like, you know, a family and like, you know, a little bit more stability in my job. And when he was getting into his 30s and he had this wonderful uh, wife and his beautiful family, he said to himself, I wish I was in my 40s where I could have like, you know, more security in my job and I can get out of infancy and I can have a little bit more of my independence again. And, and I, you know, in your 40s, that's when you get a little bit of respectability. And when he was going through his 40s, he said, you know, I wish I was in my 50s because the people in their 50s are the people who are running this company and they have a little bit more security, they have a little bit more wealth, their, their, their finances aren't stretched so thin. And when he got to his 50s, he said, you know what, I'm getting tired, I just can't wait until my 60s where I can just kind of just like relax a little bit, where I don't have to like, you know, always be on and like be on and be on. I mean, I've been going at this for like 30 some years now with my job and with these crazy bills and these kids and all these things. I just can't wait till I'm in my 60s where I can just relax and golf and enjoy my grandchildren. And then as he was in his 60s and as he approached his 70s, he, he found himself tired and bored and frustrated and one day sitting at his window looking out into the snow and saying to himself, I wish I was seven years old playing in the snow. And a wave of regret came upon him as he realized something really painful. That every season of his life, he wished that he was in a different season of life. And he never got to really enjoy that the moment that he was a part of, because he was grumbling and complaining and always looking for something different. It's a cautionary tale. If we identify with some part of it, that's good. But let us not, reg- let us not be overcome by regret. Because if you're at seven and you l- go all the way to 50 and you figure out um, that you... And, and, and you start living the, the, the cautionary tale part again, that's not really a win. And if you start realizing it, maybe even at 40 or 50, that this is what you're doing, that is the win. It's like the thief on the cross who realizes before it is too late who is right next to him, right? That's the purpose of a cautionary tale. The fact that we realize what is at hand right now. So we don't have to regret Instead, we take hold of the moment that, 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 God prevent, that God presents to us. So we become faithful. I'm grateful that we get to be part of a community that is intentionally trying to be part of the betterment of the world. I mean, God has delivered us. God has given us so much. And even in the midst of difficult circumstances that we all face and challenges that we all face, God is at work in our lives, and people also recognize how we respond to our pain and to our frustrations and to our challenges. And when we respond in faith, we get to give something very sacred and very precious to people. We get to give them hope, and we get to give people who are hurting an opportunity to say, you know what? I want to to do that too. I want to believe like you do. 
I want to join maybe this community of faith that responds in this way. And we can do that as we tremble in the holy fear of God. We can do that as we shine in the way that truly honors God. And we can do that in community to live a life that truly makes a difference in our own lives, in the lives of those who are near us, and in the lives of those further out. Amen? Let's pray together. Dear God, we are grateful that we do get to live out this story. And we're grateful, Lord, that it is a true story, that it is one of deliverance, that it is one of hope, that it is one of redemption, and it is one that is worth living. So, Father, we respond to you not out of fear, not out of regret. We respond to you out of love. And help us, Lord, to be faithful with these moments that we can share your love with those around us. Help us to be people who are intentional about love, about wisdom, about sharing the better things in this life. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.